Amen. God be the glory. Thank you all. You know, you ever play, and this is, this is probably not the greatest title to a game uh, as Christians, but we play the game, you've play, probably played the game Two Truths and a Lie, right? And, uh, and it's basically encouraging lying, but it's a game, so we'll call it okay. We should call it Two Truths and a Fib, right? Uh, but one of the things I, now I can't use this anymore because I'm, I'm, I'm saying it now, but one of my common for, uh, for uh, my quote-unquote lie, uh, is I've, I've never broken a bone. Well, actually, that would be a truth. Actually, I use that as a truth. I've never broken a bone. And to me, that's quite an amazing thing because I've done some pretty cr- uh, crazy and stupid stuff in life. And uh, that I've never broken a bone. Uh, I grew up on a farm. My brothers had like five broken bones. I never had a broken bone. And uh, I never had an accident in which I thought I might have broken a bone. I've never had an x-ray. To me, besides, you know, when you go to the dentist. But uh, I've never had an x-ray because I had an accident. And to me, that is an amazing thing. Now, many of you in this room have had x-rays. And uh, an x-ray is kind of an amazing thing, right? You get to take a picture of something that you can't see with the naked eye. You take a picture of the bone to see if it's got a break or a fracture in it, but uh, you can't see it because there's obviously skin and flesh and muscle over top of the bone. And uh, and x-rays may not be the most pleasant thought in your mind because it reminds you of an accident, but it's definitely better than the alternative, right? The alternative to get a picture of that bone would be to lift the skin up and, uh, <laughs> and to see the bone, and you definitely don't want that. Or maybe worse yet, you don't find out if the bone is broken, and then it leads to greater problems later on. Okay, this morning we're going to do a spiritual x-ray. And it's maybe not the most fun thought in the world, because we're looking to see underneath our behaviors and our actions and our, even our good deeds what's really going on inside of us. It's not the most pleasant idea because we might get to see some things that are broken that we don't want to see. But I will remind us that it's better than the alternative. The alternative is just to ignore the sin or the brokenness within us and it results in greater pain later on. And so it is. So uh, we're talking about doing a spiritual x-ray this morning. And what we're talking about is looking at the motives behind our good deeds and our works. And uh, as we do, I want to rem- give us a little foretaste, so to speak, a little appetizer right now to let you know that by the end, God does have a remedy. We're going to talk about uh, just some difficult things, but there is something that uh, God's Scripture is going to lay out by the end that's going to be magnificent for us. It's going to actually be what our whole Christian lives are about. And so I just want to uh, give us this idea that we're going to look within the heart and ask and pray that God would give us pure motives and uh, that God would help us to have the right goal in mind when it comes to our faith. 
So before we read the scripture, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we now uh, uh, look to turn to your word, we pray that you would come and speak to us. In fact, that you would uh, reveal the hidden stuff in our lives, the stuff behind even the, the works that we do and the actions that we have. Help us to see the motives behind it. Help us to understand the why so that we might be able to receive your help and healing where there is brokenness. God, ultimately, I pray that you would uh, light us on fire. Give us a passion for Jesus and help us to pursue you more than anything else. God, help us to actually, uh, as we look at your word this morning, help us to see you as the treasure that you are so that we might fix our minds and our hearts and our lives on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going through uh, Philippians together as a church, and today we are in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. So open up your Bibles to uh, Philippians 3, and uh, as I said, we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 11. I will admit that as we look at this passage, this is like a sermon that's been brewing in my heart for like 25 years. This, has been, this was one of the passages that when I was a young Christian, God got a hold of me and he said, this is what it's all about. This is what the Christian life is all about. And so I pray that it would be renewed in my mind and my heart. In fact, I pray that it would be Jesus that speaks through me uh, as we look at this passage this morning. Philippians 3, 1 through 11. It's, the first verse says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these, the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Okay, I'm going to just take this uh, a little bit here, a, a little bit, verse at a, each verse at a time this morning. So let me pause right now and just uh, make a couple observations. The first thing is, I love that Paul says, finally. And he's got two more whole chapters to go. Like, Paul's a preacher, right? <laughs> finally, and then he's only half done. But uh, in some of your translations, uh, it's not going to use the word finally. It's going to maybe use the word further or furthermore. In fact, the Greek word that's uh, translated uh, finally here could actually be translated above all else or most importantly. And that's how I think we should actually take it. Paul is saying, above all else, rejoice in the Lord. Like that's one of the common, that's one of the main repeated themes throughout the book of Philippians. 19 times in this book does it mention rejoice or joy. Like Paul is driving home the point that joy is to be a central part of our, li uh, our relationship with God, which is a beautiful thing, amen? It's much better that than the alternative. Like we would want to have a relation, we would want to have a faith that leads to joy. And that's what Paul is uh, saying here. He says, uh, above all else, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who have no confidence in the flesh. 
Now, I'll admit, verse 2 seems to be a, a, a sharp uh, turn. First of all, in verse 1, he's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he says, he gives this uh, warning. And it's like, holy cow, this is, a, this is a strong warning. Watch out for those dogs. You think of like a pack of dogs that are like, like we would think of coyotes, you know, that are running the streets and, and are dangerous. Watch out for those dogs those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, who's he talking about? Well, it's hard to, uh, to imagine, but who's he, he, the, person, the people that he's referring to are the teachers of the law. It's the Pharisees. It's those that would come in and to do damage to their faith. Now, there is a, now here is where we've got to make the connection between what he says in verse 1 and what he says in verse 2. What he's saying here is if you fall under the rules and the regulations and the false teaching that the Pharisees are, getting, uh, are giving you, it is going to rob you of, their, of your joy. You see, what they're presenting, uh, Paul is uh, beginning to hint at already, it's not the relationship with God that we're supposed to have. He's saying what, uh, what you find from the religious leaders is a teaching that is all based on rules and regulations and you got to do this and that and, th and the other. And he's saying it's a burden that you should not have to carry. Jesus came down on the Pharisees in similar type ways. He called them bro uh, broods of vipers and hypocrites. And he said they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. And so Paul offers a, si a similar warning. He says, watch out. This is not the way it's supposed to be. He goes on to say, he goes on to begin to show how it is supposed to be. We are, it is we who are the true circumcision. And what he's saying here is it's not the outward appearance. It's not the law that makes us uh, God's people. The circumcision was what would identify the Jewish people as God's people. It says we are the true circumcision. Why? Because... We serve God by His Spirit. And we boast in Christ and we put no confidence in the flesh. Now, we've, you've heard it said before probably, and, and we'll say it again, that what we have in our Christian lives is more relationship than it is religion. What we have in our Christian lives is more relationship than it is rules and regulations. It's more a relationship with God than it is to try to earn our own righteousness. Now, it was interesting to me that both uh, Reuben and Eric mentioned the law this morning. The law itself is not evil. In fact, it's there for our good. It is to give us guidelines uh, so that we might be able to uh, live for God. But it is not there to earn our own righteousness. It's, so, it's there to point us to who God is. It's to point us to His heart. His uh, compassion, His grace. He tells us not to go down this path because He knows that it's not good for us. You see, it's all motivated by His love for us. It's a relationship. And that's what uh, Paul is saying here. Is he's, he's beginning to paint this picture that it is not our earned righteousness. It is not by the obedience of the law that, we have a, that our faith is based. It's by the fact that the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. Paul says we are to have no, we put no confidence in the flesh. But he says, if you want to play that game, I can play that game. Verse 4, he says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. 
And then in verses 5 and 6, he gives his reasons. He gives his resume, so to speak. If uh, someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So uh, Paul goes on to say, you think you, uh, you think you got it all together? I got it more all together. I'm the best of the best. And everything that he lists here is just, what, uh, is just to point out he's got it all together. According to the law, that is, he's got the best education. He rose to the top of the ranks. He became a Pharisee. Uh, even uh, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Both his mom and his dad were purebred Hebrews, so to speak. Uh, he, he had it all. Even among the 12 tribes, I'm of Benjamin, the greatest of all of them. He says, uh, and this is one's hard to believe, he says, even righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, Paul's got a resume, right? And I'll admit, when I have uh, that, when I read this, it causes me to just think of my own life because I can fall, and I'll, I'm, I just confess, I can fall into the same trap, and maybe you can too. You know, I could put together a pretty good resume if I wanted to. Born in a Christian family, went to Sunday school as a kid, went to youth group, worked, went to Christian, uh, Christian camp during the summer. If the church doors were open, my family was there. Went off to college. Got a double major and a double minor. Who has a double major and a double minor? I was dumb enough to get a double major and a double minor. You want to see how broad my uh, education was? I was a Bible major and a Christian ministry major. I was a youth ministry minor and an ancient languages minor, which basically means I took Greek and Hebrew. Now, that's a degree. It's all Christian stuff. Went on, got my Master's of Divinity, got my Doctor of Ministry, a lot of Christian education. I've been a pastor for 17 years. Uh, even before I was a pastor, I was a, part-time, I was a youth minister and then a camp counselor, and then an uh, associate pastor, and a solo pastor, and now, a, and now the lead pastor. I've been ordained twice. That's a story. I've been ordained twice. How that happens, I, don't ask me. I don't, it's a story. I've got a good marriage and a good family. I've studied the Bible a lot. I've never had a, a, a public moral failure. Uh, maybe I could say, like Paul, If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. But now look what Paul says here in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. All these good things that we want to put on our resume. In fact, you might even have a lot of good things to uh, think about. You serve in ministry. You study the Bible. You, you have your devotions every day. Uh, we could, uh, you got a, a good job, a good family. We could make this long list. And Paul says it's all garbage compared to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. 
It's quite an amazing statement. The King James has an even stronger interpretation. And if any one of, if any one of you has the King James Version open, it, uh, you're going to be struck by this. Verse 8 says, I count them but dung that I may win Christ. Okay, I, 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 we, could, we could go on for a while here and we could make it pretty gross. But I'm just being biblical, okay? That's what it says. It's all this stuff is a pile of poop compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Now here's, here's the... Uh, Here's the point, the differentiation that we need to make. All this stuff that I mentioned about, you know, my own resume or maybe what's on your resume, it's good stuff if it's done for the point of knowing Jesus. But if it's done to earn our own righteousness, then it's a bunch of garbage. It's a pile of manure. But if it's done... uh, to spend time with Jesus, to know him more, then it becomes the greatest treasure in all the world, right? Because that is what Paul is emphasizing, that uh, all this stuff is garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. You see, that's what's uh, most valuable when we seek to know him. All this other stuff that we want to build our lives upon and... and, uh, and build up, we're saying, hey, look at my big pile of poop. And we brag about it. And what we ought to do is flush it down the toilet and replace it with Jesus. You see, all this self-righteousness, it stinks. And I just draw that out. When we have our own self-righteousness, it stinks. Let me just say, self-righteousness leads to pride, right? Pride that I got it all together. Nobody likes pride. It stinks. It leads to ungratefulness. Because we have no one to give uh, gratitude to except for ourselves. It leads to self-reliance because we don't recognize our need for God's help. It leads even to lust and to bitterness and the things that we do in secret because all of a sudden we forget that God is with us all the time. It leads to fighting for our own will. And so that leads to anger and aggressiveness and unforgiveness because we've been, we've, because we have isolated ourselves, cut ourselves off from God. Do you recognize the stinkiness of all this stuff? And so here we lay ourselves on the x-ray table and we ask God to examine our hearts. And what we're doing is in the midst of all our good deeds, we're asking ourselves Why am I doing all those things? We're looking at our motivations and our mindsets and even our mixed emotions. Because sometimes we can have a mixture. We can say, I'm doing some of this for Christ's righteousness, but I'm also doing some of this for my own righteousness. There's a legalism trap here that is very dangerous that we ought not to uh, get uh, tripped up with. Because it's easy to do the right things for the wrong reasons. Our motivation is for ourselves. Our mindset is to live for ourselves. Our mixed emotions are part for Jesus and part for ourselves. So we've already talked about that this is uh, all these things compared to knowing Jesus 
are worthless. They're lost. They're garbage. They're manure. And so Paul is now going to paint a description of what does it really look like to know Christ. Verses 7 through 11 read this way. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish or garbage or dung or manure that I may excuse me, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is, and is by faith. And now Paul just goes on like it's just an avalanche. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain to the resurrection of the dead. What we have he described here is just this, in, this picture of an intimate, close relationship with Jesus, where we gain Christ, where we are found in him, where we know Christ, where we have fellowship with Christ. And the list goes on and on. Paul talks about how he wants to know the power of the resurrection. Twice does he mention the resurrection. The resurrection points to the fact that it is a living God, not a dead God. It is a living God that we can have a real life, alive relationship with. He talks about having the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now, I want to pause there on that one for a moment. What does it mean? Paul says, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Well, the, suffer, the first suffering that comes to mind is the cross, right? It is the, it is the suffering that Jesus uh, uh, bore when he hung on the cross. And the purpose of the cross was to tear down the barrier of sin that divides us from God. And then I also think about the sufferings that we experience in our own lives. And I invite us to, say, uh, to see even those as sharing in the sufferings with Jesus because Jesus comes alongside of us in our sufferings as an invitation to draw near to him. Some of you may be going through sufferings even today and you wonder, why am I going through this difficult thing? Well, the reason you may be going through difficult things is because Jesus loves you and he wants to draw you closer to himself. It's through those difficulties that somehow he's trying to get your attention and pull you into a deeper relationship with him. You see, the sufferings of Jesus on the cross and the sufferings uh, that we experience in our own life ultimately have the same purpose. It is to tear down the barrier that divides us and God. Paul is saying throughout all of this that God is inviting us into a closer relationship with him. You see, I, meant, I, I mentioned the remedy at the beginning. That's the healing that our hearts need. That's what the Christian life is all about, to have a closer relationship with Jesus. This is not a righteousness that we earn that comes from the law, but that is that which is by faith in Jesus Christ. So what that means is we don't need more Home Depot Christians. You know what a Home Depot Christian is? You've seen the commercials. Home Depot advertises uh, where doers get more done. We don't need anyone to be more. Uh, we don't need anybody to be a doer that gets more done. 
Uh, we just simply come before God and we ask that Christ be put into us. It's not that we earn our faith. It is, that it pl- it is r- the righteousness of Jesus that's planted in us because Jesus takes up residence in our hearts. You see, when Christ comes into your life and you begin to walk with him daily, moment by moment, seeking a closer relationship with him, then your righteousness begins to grow. Not because of legalism or doing the right thing, but because of relationship. It is Jesus in you. You see, this uh, relationship with Jesus is like a treasure above all else. And this is the best life possible. One of my uh, joys as a minister is I get to do weddings, right? And uh, I love uh, being at the front of the stage and uh, all of a sudden the bride turns the corner and the door is open and the bride is there in all of her beauty and her beautiful wedding gown and you can see the joy on her faith, face. And I, I not only uh, take the moment to look at the face of the bride, but I always, also always want to glance at the face of the groom because the groom's got a grin just as big and uh, he's so full of pride. This is the day he's been looking forward to. This is his bride, his beautiful bride walking down the aisle. And they stand up at the front of the wherever they're getting married and uh, they exchange their vows and then they exchange their rings. And when we get to the point where they exchange the rings, what if I turn to the best man and I ask him for the ring and what's handed to me is a ring pop? You know? (laughs) You got this beautiful ceremony going on. It's It's a joining of two lives together. And now all of a sudden we pull a ring pop out. <laughs> Cherry sugar. Hmm, that's good. But you're not going to wear it the rest of your life, right? You want something that's going to last. You want the diamond. You want the gold band. You want whatever it is. That's what's worthy of this moment. You see, I'm afraid that we've taken this wonderful relationship that God has offered to us and we're, ch- and we're sucking on cherry ring pops. When God has offered to us a diamond ring, he's offered to us the treasure of having a relationship with him, but we've substituted it for just doing, the good, doing good stuff. And I'm not saying good stuff is bad, but if that's why we're doing it is because we want to uh, build ourselves up, then it's all for the wrong reasons. My challenge for each of us is to take the treasure, which is knowing Jesus. See, this is why I love this passage so much. Paul is presenting to us a vision of what our lives should look like. And we've fallen far uh, short too often. We get apathetic. We forget that our whole lives are to be focused on living for Jesus. Paul says, more than anything, I want to know Christ. And that's where we ought to all raise our hands and say, that's what I need because we have too many apathetic Christians running around. Too many people just going through the motions and we forget that every moment of every day is an opportunity to live with Jesus and that's what is the greatest treasure of all. So put aside our own righteousness. That's not why we do what we do. The motivation that, uh, for why we do what we do is to have fellowship with Jesus. 
And so that transforms the way we live our whole lives every moment of the day. Like as I said, on my resume, so to speak, is my good family. But, it's, but I don't take pride in that, in that they're quote-unquote good. What I take pride in is that through my wife and my kids, we get to love Jesus together. I get to try to share the gospel with them by the way I live and the way I, uh, way I talk. And, and we come together and we serve Christ in the church, which I hope all of us would, not for the sake of checking a box, for the sake of saying we want the gospel of Je- we want the love of Jesus to spread because Jesus is in our hearts. We serve him so that we can, uh, so that we can worship him, so we can spend time with him. You see, it's all of these things, but we're looking underneath the skin and we're looking at the motivations. And we're saying, it's all about you, Jesus. We place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Now, all of this, it may sound like a lot of work, but I hope that we've laid aside that misconception already. What we're talking about here is not getting more stuff done What we're talking about is putting Jesus at the center of it all. It's not that we're laying heavy burdens upon our shoulders already. In fact, we're lifting the burden off and we're just saying, every moment of the day, one step at a time, I walk towards Jesus. It it really, each step of the, each step along the way is really like a step of prayer. I'm reminded of what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray continually. And that's what we're talking about. That as we go about our everyday lives, it starts just with prayer. Pray while we're doing our household chores. While we go to work, we invite Jesus into our car ride, our commute. We invite Jesus to come and to fellowship with us while we go about our everyday business. That's what I see here in this passage when Paul says, I want to know the surpassing great, I want to know the, I want, I want the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, to have fellowship with him in his resurrection and in his sufferings, it is to take one step at a time, inviting him to come in with us. And the good news is, it's not a lot of work because we take one step and Jesus wants us so badly, he takes a thousand towards us. All he's waiting for us is to open ourselves up. He stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears his voice, opens the door, he will come in and dine with them. It's a a picture of fellowship. You know, I see, I'm a very goal-oriented person. I love to know what I'm after. A few years ago, I was struggling to uh, get in shape, exercising and stuff, so what do I do? Sign up for the LA Marathon. Because then I got something to pursue. This is what we're pursuing. More than anything, we're pursuing that we might walk with Jesus every moment of the day. There's an old hymn that says, A moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And may that be part of the heartbeat of our lives, that every moment we would, re- uh, we would live with Jesus. This is divine fellowship. It is drawing close to the one who loves us so much. As I said, we need more Christians who will look around them and see everything in their lives as garbage compared to knowing Jesus.
We need people that are passionate about Jesus, who want to live for him and to know him more than anything else. In a sense, what we're saying is we need Christians that are on fire for Jesus and love him so much. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for the passage that we've been able to look at. And uh, God, I pray that as we um, seek to, to just take this word into our hearts, that right now uh, we lay ourselves on the x-ray table. And God, we ask that you would show us where maybe, our, or maybe we need to invite you into our lives. Maybe we haven't invited you into our homes or into our workplace or into just even our, our leisure time. And, uh, and so, God, we ask and pray that you would come in so that we might be able to say all these things are transformed from a pile of garbage to a treasure, from the insignificance of a ring pop to, the, to a diamond ring because we recognize that you are so much greater and we want you in everything. And so, God, we thank you that you love us so much that this is what you want for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I recognize that in some ways the sermon today is every sermon. You know, this is what the Christian life is about. And, uh, but it breaks my heart that there are so many people in the, in the world around us and even that have passed through our doors that forget that it's all about Jesus. You know, as we go and we visit people in the community, there are some who say, yeah, I, I love Jesus and, and uh, I'm involved in church. We say, bless you. Keep going to that church. Keep praising the Lord. And others uh, invite to our church, but there are many who want nothing to do with Jesus. And so we pray for them, that God would open their hearts and help them to realize that they're sucking on a ring pop when they could receive a diamond ring, and uh, that there's so much better uh, offered, so much more offered to us in the love of Jesus. I'm going to ask our prayer counselors to come forward now, and uh, if you are here this morning and you want to receive prayer because something's going on in your life or even just you, you feel like I just want the Lord to come and to minister to me and uh, you don't have a special prayer request but you just sense that uh, you want God to come and, and, to, and to do a work in your heart I invite you now to take this opportunity to come and to receive prayer but as we uh, sing this last song let's all stand